Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, reaction to a suspected hate crime in London, Ontario. We believe that this was an intentional act and that the victims of this horrific incident were targeted. We believe the victims were targeted because of their Islamic faith. Jason Kenney apologizes as the former leader of the Wild Rose Party calls on him to resign. I want uh, sincerely to apologize to my colleagues and to Albertans uh, for letting you down, uh, for not being more careful uh, to scrupulously follow uh, every aspect of the public health guidelines that we expect of everyone. And the government considers plans for the return of international tourists. As we move towards more reopening internally across Canada first, but then eventually uh, to people, we need to make sure uh, that travelers are vaccinated, are fully vaccinated before they come to Canada because we don't want to risk uh, further outbreaks. A, a fourth wave would be devastating to uh, not just to the economy, but to morale. I mean, we've finally been through this. We have to make sure that that's uh, safe first. It's Tuesday, June the 8th. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by Susan Delacourt, columnist for the Toronto Star. Susan, thank you for being with us today. Good morning to you, Mark. Let's talk about this attack in London. Uh, it, it, authorities there are saying it's a case of Islamophobia. Uh, this is an issue we have confronted as a nation before. Uh, there are politicians who are reacting uh, with with shock and with horror at what's happened. Uh, what do you expect to say? I know it's a it's a it's a an investigation that's going to continue in London, Ontario. But from a political perspective, what? What do you expect people will be talking about today with regard to this? Well, a number of things. It was late in the day, actually, yesterday, that, that we, we got the news that this was indeed um, what we're seeing is a hate crime. Uh, maybe not officially yet, but we are hearing that, that this was an, an attack of Islamophobia. And this is... This, four years ago, was quite a hot topic in the House of Commons. Remember Motion 103? Yeah. Uh, uh, and a lot of conversation back and forth, uh, especially between conservatives and, and liberals at the time, about the, the this whole idea of Islamophobia. It was, uh, it was quite animating. I don't think it's going to be the same divisive issue. This is just a, a horrible, awful tragedy. I think... Today we're going to see, you know, we've unfortunately had more than enough chances lately for the House of Commons to uh, to make statements of sorrow and, and grief and mourning. And I guess we're going to see a little bit of that today, I would expect. I don't know that it's going to turn into the politically charged conversation over Islamophobia that we've seen before in the House of Commons, but it has potential, of course, to do that. Um but yeah, it, it, right now I think we are at the stage of sort of shock and horror, and the fact that it, you know, it happened in in London, Ontario, which is you know not known as a city common for violence or or extremism. I think this is um, is particularly searing. And while we're on the subject of of political reaction to um, to horrifying stories, the the House of Commons has passed a motion calling for the federal government to end legal actions involving First Nations children. I know a lot of people uh, interpreted Justin Trudeau's words after the discovery of 
of the bodies of children at a residential school in British Columbia as as hollow because he his government is continuing these legal fights. So how do you, where do you see this going? This is such an interesting thing that happened in the House of Commons last night, and I, I think the, the Prime Minister is due to hold a regular news conference, and I, I, he will, I, I'm sure, have to explain or be asked to explain this nuance again, where, or is it nuance, uh, but all of the Liberal MPs, except for the Cabinet, voted in favour of the NDP motion, which is basically asking the federal government, among a number of other things it asked in the document, in the motion, it asked for the federal government to, to stop its challenge um, at the, the human rights review of, of two rulings on uh, compensation to Indigenous children. The fact that that Liberal MPs all voted in favor of it, and the cabinet did not, is is becoming a bit of a pattern. I don't know that two makes a pattern, but but we saw the government do this on a motion about uh, genocide in China as well. And uh, the Prime Minister last Friday in conversation at Ryerson talked about the idea that uh, that there's a nuance here between the difference between Parliament saying something is so, which is non-binding, and the government saying something, which is presumably why the cabinet did not vote in favor of this. But uh, it may be trying to be too clever by half, but it means that the conversation about uh, what can be done in reaction to the horror of uh, the discovery at that residential school. This may, we're talking now about where the rubber hits the road. We're talking about going beyond symbols and what concretely is going to be done. And I think that's in the act of question. And that motion in the Commons last night sharpens that that question and sharpens that that issue. Um, I, I I suspect the Prime Minister is going to. It, be asked to explain the nuance of that, uh, like he did have to do on China as well. Mm. All right, let's turn to some of the stories arising from the coronavirus pandemic. And Alberta Premier Jason Kenney has now apologized for that dinner where he and others appeared to be violating the province's COVID-19 guidelines. Uh, But Brian Jean, the former leader of the Wild Rose Party, which is a a pre-merger conservative, small-c conservative party in Alberta. Uh, he has called for Jason Kenney now to resign. Um, is, wh- where do you think Jason Kenney stands right now in Alberta? It's been, you know, for those of us who knew Jason Kenney here in Ottawa as uh, probably uh, the most uh, the most effective cabinet minister in, in Harper's government, one would argue, certainly one of the more independent ones, uh, it's and, been and a I kind of surprise. Susan, I would add consistent and reliable, and and I think Stephen Harper. Yes. There, there was always this sort of uh, sense that Stephen Harper kind of gave him more license than others because he knew there wouldn't be flare-ups, right? Exactly. He was a, a very trusted member, and you know, the the Harper government didn't talk much to the media. It's war with them. But Jason Kenney was a very approachable, and you know, I always had no trouble talking to him. I he was. Um, 
it's been so for those of us watching from here to see what is happening to Jason Kenney out in Alberta has been a bit of a surprise. In fact, uh, conversation last night with people wondering, you know, I wonder if Jason Kenney is wondering now whether he should have stuck around Ottawa and pursued the leadership of the Conservatives here, because certainly this has not turned out to be the, um, you know, the romp to victory that that he's thought. I I don't think his problems have ended. It just seems that he is cursed with with enormously bad luck. His opponents would say with bad judgment as well. Uh, his handling of the pandemic has angered people on all sides out there. Some said he's done too much. So others have said he's done too little. We saw Alberta in a um, in a, in a very bad third wave. Not too long ago, although he now is in reopening. But I, you know, I, I guess the question that people are asking is, is this recoverable? Can Jason Kenney ever return to the guy that we thought he was going to be as Premier? And statements like you're hearing from Brian Jean would indicate uh, that they think that that line has already been crossed, that there is no coming back. Yeah. All right, let's talk about the potential for the lifting of travel restrictions or the reducing of those travel restrictions on people who are coming to Canada and have been vaccinated twice. Um, There are currently rules in place that if you arrive on an airplane that you've you've got to spend time in a hotel room. Um, the, The government has acknowledged they're starting to consider alternatives. Where do you see this going? Well, I had actually thought, after the the government's own advisory panel said that this hotel quarantine thing was uh, unnecessary and probably contradictory and um, and unfair, um, I had expected, and ineffective, I had expected that, that the government would move reasonably quickly to end those hotel quarantines. Instead, we've seen that they were, they've been talking about increasing the penalties on it, we are also seeing that Christian Freeland, the, when she returns from, she's not already back, from London, from the finance ministers, will probably go into a hotel. The prime minister is headed off this week, G7. We're told he's going to go to a hotel as well. So they're talking about lifting them, but not uh, in, a, in, a, in a way that's going to get the prime minister out of having to stay in. I, I think it's a matter of time. I'm surprised they haven't done it sooner. It's, uh, it, it seems ridiculous for double vaccinated people to, to go into these, uh, this elaborate quarantine. So I think this is also a result of pressure from the United States. I'm hearing that, that pressure is really increasing on in Canada to, to open that border. So um, politically for the prime minister, it's not going to get him out of his hotel stay after he's back from the G7. And uh, and NATO meetings in Brussels, but it uh, I think it's inevitable. Inevitable. All right, we'll see what a new day brings. Um, Susan, thank you so much for joining us today. Hey, thanks, Mark. That's Susan Delacourt, columnist for the Toronto Star. As we've said from the beginning, the families and the communities need to be at the center of and in charge of any and all next steps. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. At Policy Options, Melanie Klinkner considers the complexity of protecting, investigating, and commemorating mass graves. Klinkner writes, 
There are questions about how best to protect and deal with the discovered graves at the site of the former Kamloops Indian Residential School. Mass graves contain evidence that is essential to the realization of truth, justice, and accountability. And the consequences of not protecting and investigating mass graves are significant. The safety, dignity, privacy, and well-being of victims and their families should be a key concern for all actors without distinction. In an editorial, the Toronto Star argues Pope Francis should step up and apologize for the Catholic role in residential schools. The Star writes, The path of reconciliation would be greatly eased if the leading figure in the church made a direct apology. It's hard to believe that Francis, renowned as a compassionate leader, has a personal objection to saying I'm sorry. It seems much more likely that the Roman Catholic bishops of Canada aren't united on the issue and won't make a unified appeal to the Pope. There's still time to do the right thing. The Catholic leadership should step up and do it. At Policy Magazine, Colin Robertson considers the coming G7 meeting. Robertson writes, While the agenda has evolved since its creation in 1975, the G7 leaders have had two overriding priorities, strengthening the global economy and bolstering the rules-based order. This weekend, the leaders meet against a challenging backdrop, and success will be measured not just by the post-Trump dynamic or their communique, but by their actions and follow-up. And a favorable verdict will hinge on three big issues, COVID recovery, climate, and defending the rules-based international order. Now here's what's coming up on Canada's political agenda. The Prime Minister will speak at the annual Laurier Club Donor Appreciation Event. Green Party leader Annamie Paul will hold a news conference in Ottawa. So will Bloc Québécois leader Yves-François Blanchet. Minister of Diversity Bartish Chagger will attend a virtual infrastructure event in Waterloo, Ontario. Small Business Minister Mary Ng will deliver a keynote address at the Canadian Venture Capital and Private Equity Association's annual Invest Canada Conference. The Minister of Communities, Catherine McKenna, will attend a virtual infrastructure event in Etobicoke, Ontario. Minister of Seniors, Deb Schulte, will co-host a symposium entitled The Future of Aging in Canada. And Minister of Fisheries, Bernadette Jordan, and Environment Minister Jonathan Wilkinson, will make an announcement about the protection and restoration of Pacific wild salmon populations. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Tuesday, June the 8th. Tune into Primetime Politics every evening on CPAC for coverage of all the day's events. Our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.